The third lesson this morning comes from Mark's Gospel, the ninth chapter, verses 2 through 10. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they, saw, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. This is the word of the Lord. When was the last time that you heard the phrase, those were the good old days? Those were the good old days. That is a phrase that I hear quite a bit. I tend to hear this phrase when we talk about things related to goings-on in the world, or I hear this phrase regarding the family unit, whatever that may mean. But the most often time that I hear this phrase used are when people are talking about churches. Those were the good old days. In the earlier part of the 20th century, there was a great spiritual awakening in America. There were great speakers and ministers that went throughout the country, and they were telling people about God. They were telling people about life, about the way that life and our belief in God should come together and meet. Billy Graham could go into an auditorium or a stadium, and he would have no trouble filling up every single seat. People went to church on Sunday, or whenever the doors were open. It's just what you did. It's what you did in the earlier part of the 1900s. And if it was Sunday morning, you and all of your family and most of your friends were in the pews in church. I've heard of people in previous generations talk about the way that Sundays would go when they were children. They would talk about how after church everyone would go home on Sunday afternoon and the whole family would come over to the grandparents' home. And there would be fried chicken and there would be macaroni and cheese and there would be green beans. There would be more food than anybody could possibly eat. And after everyone had eaten all of that food and they were stuffed to the brim and couldn't think of eating another bite, Grandma would come out of the kitchen with a hot apple pie that was steaming and a scoop of good vanilla homemade ice cream. And after lunch, everyone would get up and they'd go out on the front porch and they would talk, they would tell stories all afternoon long. And those who truly had eaten more than they could handle would go and find a nice shady spot and they'd sleep the afternoon away. Those surely were the good old days. The good old days when families would sit down to meals together and they would pray and they would talk and then they would go out on the porch and talk all afternoon with one another. You see, these memories like a family gathering after church each week filled with fun and food and stories, they make us feel good inside. They make us feel like there was once a time when things were a little less hectic and a little more wholesome. These memories give us hope when we look at the world around us that we're living in right now and we just think that things can't get any worse. Maybe if life was that good and that wholesome once upon a time, maybe it can be again. Those were the good old days. I worked at three churches when I was in seminary in Durham, and, and the churches were north of Durham, about 45 minutes in the middle of nowhere. And these churches, two of them were very, very small. They averaged less than 15 people a week. And one of those churches actually averaged less than 10 people a week. 
But they weren't always like that. One of the sanctuaries could hold over 200 people, and it, and it used to. And the other church, the majority of the land was filled up with a, a full graveyard. But it wasn't always like that. That graveyard wasn't always so full, and that sanctuary wasn't always so empty. When I first arrived at that appointment, several people from each of those churches would come up to me periodically, and they would apologize for things not being the way they used to. And I don't really think that the attendance or lack thereof had very much to do with being a direct result of anything that any of them had done. Time had just moved on. Time had moved on, and they were still living in the past. And they couldn't move on with time because moving on would mean that they couldn't cling on to all of that past that they wished would come back. Not being able to move on and acclimate well to the changing times meant that Sunday services in those churches looked an awful lot like memorial services for congregations that once had been relevant. The people in those churches, they were great. They had wonderful hearts and they had the best casseroles. But they were clinging on to a hope that their Sunday school teachers from when they were children, and their United Methodist men that were so strong at those turkey stews and those, those lay servants, who had spent so much time dedicating their service to the church and the building of God's kingdom, were going to pop up out of those graveyards one day and fill those sanctuaries once again. They just weren't able to look past that. They were clinging on to that hope so tightly that they forgot to stay focused on what it was that those who had gone before them were focused on. The things that these congregations admired the most about those who had gone before them were that those people were so faithful. They were faithful to God, and by being faithful to God, they were building God's kingdom. These congregations forgot to stay focused on building the kingdom now. They forgot that they actually have a life to live right now. They were just clinging on to the good old days when things were thriving and fun and full of life. I think that what makes the good old days the good old days is that those days that we remember so fondly were the days when the folks in them were able to live in the present in such a way that it made those days memorable. Now listen to that again. I think what makes the good old days the good old days is that those days that we remember so fondly were the days when the folks in them were able to live in the present in such a way that it made those days memorable. The good old days are good to remember. They're good to remember, but they aren't what we should be chasing after. There are things that are good to remember because they tell us who we are and where we've been. But if we spend all of our time trying to go back in time, then we aren't able to continue moving forward in our life and in our faith. And I think that, in part, is what the transfiguration is about. For Peter and James and John, they had a mountaintop experience. They had a, one of those experiences during this transfiguration that they are going to be unable to forget. It's one of those defining moments in a person's life. And Peter and James and John... They're up there on this mountain with Jesus. And they look up and Jesus turns white and starts glowing in a way that they have never seen before. And if that's not strange enough to see one of your friends on top of a mountain start glowing like a light bulb, they look around and realize that Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah. Moses had been dead for quite a while. And Elijah had been taken up in a whirlwind of fire a long time ago. Neither one of these two people had been on the earth in quite some time. This is an incredibly strange experience for Peter and James and John at this moment. And I don't think that we have to stretch our imaginations very far to realize that they are scared beyond belief. They don't know what to do. But in the midst of that fear, I've got a feeling 
that these three were so excited that they had just encountered Moses and Elijah that they didn't know what to do with themselves. Peter and James and John were in the presence of their hero's past. They were getting to overhear a conversation between their great heroes and their Messiah. What Peter and James and John were doing is not all that different than what many of our congregations and what many Christians do today. But the difference is Peter and James and John actually got to be in the presence, again, of their great heroes. Their key figures who would help build the faith of the past have returned. Now I want you to think just for a moment about what Peter says right after this. He opens his mouth, and what comes out is, Let me build a tent for you and for Moses and for Elijah. Just imagine for a moment that there's something that is incredibly precious to you, whatever it may be. And one day you lose it. It's no longer there. It's gone. And you spend years and years of your life mourning the loss of whatever it is that you have lost. And out of nowhere one day that precious thing shows back up. And you are so excited that you just can't contain yourself. What do you do? What do you do? I've got a feeling that many of us are going to do exactly what Peter did. The first thing that we're going to think to do is try to build something that's going to protect that thing from being lost or, or, or going away again. We're going to build or buy something that can keep us from experiencing the loss of whatever it is that we had lost before. And when we start doing that, we end up finding that we're clinging on so tightly to that thing that we're afraid of losing that it can no longer perform its function. It's no longer any good to itself or, or us. And it can no longer do what it was supposed to do because we're holding on so tightly. And by the same token, we can no longer do what it is that we are supposed to do because we're holding on so tightly to whatever it is that was lost that we can't give our attention to anything else. Does this sound like anything that we have going on in our lives? Do we have a Moses or Elijah in our life that we just cannot let go of? You see, Moses represents the law that was given to given from God on Mount Sinai. And for Peter and James and John to see Moses up there on this mountain reminds them of the law that they held so dearly in their hearts. But it also reminds them of the law that they were unable to keep. It reminded them of the law that had become a source of guilt for them, that it, it never ended. They were clinging on to someone and something that once upon a time, and, and even still, could be of some use and good. But it was also the source of guilt and shame for them because it was causing them to focus all of their attention on something that they knew they could not live up to. What about Elijah? Elijah represented the prophets of old. Elijah represented those voices who cried out to Israel to make a change in their lives. Elijah represented the choices that Israel had been given. They were choices to turn back to God and be faithful or continue living the way that they were living and experience the consequences. Israel was faced with a lot of choices from these prophets. And more times than not, they chose their own way over God's way. But oh, Israel loved Elijah. He was one of the great fathers of the faith, but to see Elijah on that mountain must have reminded them of all of the times that they had been unfaithful to God. They were clinging on to a faithful prophet. Peter was wanting to build a structure to protect the one who represented all of those choices that God had given to his people. He was clinging on to all of those choices in the past so tightly, hoping that in some way by building a protective structure around all of those past choices, it might somehow change the choices that had been made. Peter was living in the past. He was hoping that by creating a dwelling place for these things in the past, 
that it might somehow create a future that was a little different, a little better. But Peter was doing the same things that we find ourselves doing today. How blessed we must be to have a God who gives us a little nudge in the right direction when we find that we're staring at things that are in the past. Just as Peter is getting so caught up in building these dwelling places, God sends a cloud over top of all of them. And a big booming voice comes out. Hey guys, look. Look at this one. The one that you've been walking beside. He's my son, my beloved son. This is the one you need to stay focused on. You need to listen to him and you need to let go of all of those other things that have held your attention for so, so long. Those things aren't coming back. This one has fulfilled those things. What you need to do is focus on my son so that you can move on to the next thing that I'm calling you to. And almost immediately, Peter and James and John look around and they no longer see Elijah and they no longer see Moses. The only one they see on top of that mountain is Jesus the Christ. And by focusing on Jesus the Son of God, all of those mistakes and failures and even all of those successes that had happened in the past no longer seemed as important. By focusing on Jesus, they found themselves living in the present. By living in the present, we find that the disciples start asking questions of Jesus. They want to learn. And they come down off of this mountain and they start soaking in the glory of Jesus. And then they start watching Jesus bring life to new people. The first thing that he does when he comes off of this mountain is goes into a town and heals a boy of an un, with an unclean spirit. Because his disciples are no longer caught up in the good old days and trying to bring them back. They're able to witness Jesus give life to his people. Folks, the past is not a bad thing. We learn from it. We can learn who we are from it even. The past can provide some comfort. It can provide some hope. But we have to make certain that trying to reclaim the past doesn't become our sole focus in our lives. Because if it becomes the present, if it becomes all of our present, then our futures start to look quite empty. If we find ourselves focusing on reliving the past, we find that there's no room for us to work alongside of God in building the kingdom right here among us, here and now. So make sure that when you leave this place today, that you let this be your mountaintop experience. Let this time of worship be the moment that you need to let go of the past that holds you in its shackles. Allow this time of being in the presence of God to reorient you to what it is that God needs you to be focused on. Let this time transform you into a more holy servant of God. And may you feel free to live for God now, in the present, so that you might get to experience that joy which is eternal life.